You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And let me explain, okay? Let me explain why I said, no, go back and do your job. Here's what you need to understand about me. I don't think that what Brian and I, Pastor Brian and I do, is any different than what you guys do. And what he just did, um, which I need him to tape for my church because that was awesome, what, what he just did w- was to tell you that your job is to go do what you do along the way. rest of the story was eventually he was like, okay, quit doing that job and come and do this job. And and you guys got to know at this church at Crossroads Grace that when he first came up with this idea to come here, I was like the big brother and, and my little brother was like, you know, dating this girl and thinking about getting married. I dug in and I found out all about you guys and all about, you know, this area and what was going on and turned out um, you guys were too good for him. But the, you, know, you know that already, right? And so is Cherie. So it all worked out. But you know what? I, I am so excited to be here because I've never been here. I, I, I drove by, you know, and here's the building and it's so great. I, I, if you're all, if we're watching online, when this virus thing gets over, I hope you come. I mean, come and actually be here because it's amazing. And I'm very, very grateful to be here and be a part of it. And yeah, the virus thing is crazy. I mean, back in Chicago, uh, there's a message going out to, to my church as we speak, as we, as we talk about how we're not going to be doing live services this weekend. And it is an unprecedented opportunity. It's crazy. And we've all got worries and fears and things that are going on. I've got people in my family that, you know, are already thinking this income is going to be going away because I'm in the service industry or whatever. I feel that for you. We feel that together. But, but we got to know that God is in control. And we got to know that, that Jesus is good. And that's what I wanted to talk about. What made Jesus mad? If you haven't figured it out already, this is exactly what I've been about. Everybody loves Jesus, right? I mean, he's like Raymond. Am I right? I mean, everybody loves Jesus. You never hear somebody go, oh, that Jesus guy, I can't stand him, man. Right? I mean, oh, he's healing people, he's loving people, you know, dying for their sins. I can't stand that guy. That's, that's not what happens, right? It doesn't happen at all. It, this, the, have you ever heard that? Because I haven't heard that. Even if they don't believe in the story of Jesus, they still can't not like Jesus. Even if you're a kid and you grew up in an atheist home, you're like, okay, well, Jesus is born, I get presents, Right? Jesus dies, I get candy. So go Jesus. This whole thing works out okay. Everybody loves Jesus. As a matter of fact, sometimes people get so eager to find Jesus, they get a little bit desperate. All right, if you will, here is somebody who found Jesus in a frying pan. Oh, no, it's on this one. I'm sorry, right here. No, Kit Kat bar. I did it the wrong way. Well, we missed the frying pan. There it is. Jesus in the frying pan. See him right there? You got Jesus in the Kit Kat bar. I know, it's a stretch, but whatever. Jesus on the tortilla. You, you got you to gotta love this one. I, I think it looks a little bit more like Jerry Garcia, but that's beside the point. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Jesus on the banana, right? Yes. There he is, right there. Kind of weeping Jesus. That, that's him. But this one's my favorite. They found Jesus on a Cheeto. It's crazy, isn't it? And you know what we call him? Jesus, come on, stay with me. 
So, so my question is, what is the problem? If so many people like Jesus, why are, why, is, why are so many people not interested in following him? Why is it that the fastest growing religious community in the world today are the N-O-N-E-S's, the people who don't believe in anything? That is the fastest growing religious group. And you know what I think the problem is? I think the problem is us. I'm owning that, Okay. Let me say up front, just so you know where I stand, I believe that uh, Jesus was wonderful, and, and I, I, I know that Jesus was loving to his followers, but Jesus also got mad. Let me explain this, and then I'll show you what the problem is, okay? Jesus said very wonderful things, right, about, about how much we should love each other, and we should love our enemies, and, and all those kinds of things, but what about this one? You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Do you understand that Jesus was mad? I mean, if somebody tweeted that today, it would seem a bit inflammatory, would it not? I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. And so Jesus got mad, and what was he mad about? Here's where this whole thing goes, and here's where the disconnect is between our culture and us. The people who want to find Jesus in their Cheetos, and the people who still don't want to go to church. This is the disconnect. This Jesus his words could be sharp and biting, you know, and, and some of the things that Jesus said were a condemnation of people and, and a, a, or a story about the condemnation of these people. And I think the more we learn about a person, um, the more we learn about the things that make them mad teaches us more than the things that make them happy. Let me just ask you a question. Um, did you ever figure out, did you ever do something that made your parents mad? Online, you can raise your hand too, right? Okay. And then the next time you did it, did you hesitate just a little bit before you did that? Right? I mean, didn't you? I remember calling my dad a name one time, and then I never did it again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, to this day, I can't tell you his favorite television show or his favorite breakfast cereal, but I know one name he does not like to be called. Note to self. What I'm saying is that as we look at what makes Jesus mad, I think it's going to help us with the disconnect that we're seeing out in the world. What was Jesus mad at? Who was Jesus mad at? Mostly he was mad at the Pharisees. And I don't like the Pharisees very much either when I'm reading the Bible. But then one day I realized that the Pharisees were really just the leaders of the church of that day, right? They were the leaders of Jesus' church. And it was his father's idea of how the church should be done. They weren't from some radical extreme cult. They were the people who were appointed by God to lead the religious system to lead other people to God. And Jesus was a member of that church. And, and it was for that purpose, and so when that hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought, well, I, I don't think I'm a Pharisee, but that's me, and maybe that's my issue too. And it caused me to write this book um, on the subject because I think the same attitudes that, that made Jesus mad are the attitudes that are causing people to reject the church even though they still really love Jesus. And what are those attitudes? Uh, legalism, judgmentalism, hypocrisy, and indifference to suffering. That's what I found as I was doing my work. Legalism, judgmentalism, indifference to suffering, and hypocrisy. Those are the four. And I would say, have we got those figured out today, church? Not, 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 not so much, really. And the bigger aha moment for me was when I realized why all of those attitudes made Jesus mad. 
When I had that aha moment where I was like, okay, every time Jesus gets mad, it's because he's basically saying this. He's saying, do not let your bad religious attitudes get in the way of God's love. In other words, what made Jesus mad? Denied access to God. In every scriptural instance, what you see, it was denied access to God. And it was legalism, judgmentalism, indifference to need, and hypocrisy that were the things that got in the way. And it's the same problem that we have today. When I preached this at our church, we covered Bon Jovi's You Give Love a Bad Name before the service got started. Because I think that's what's going on. I think that's the problem. That's why people are having a hard time. And what I'm saying is, especially if you're listening online, especially if, you, if you're, you're not in a relationship with Jesus, especially, and it's because you've been hurt by the church, I'm sorry. Crossroads is Sorry. It may have been me. It may have been us. It's not what Jesus wanted to have happen. And I believe that there is still hope. And and as we've talked about, I believe that there's still hope in the middle of this crazy coronavirus that, that we can give hope to people and maybe we can demonstrate that we're not hypocrites and we're not judgmental and we're not legalist. We can't even have church, right? And that we're not indifferent to your needs. We want to help you. Gladiators, you know, one of my favorite movies because I'm a, I'm a guy. And, um, and there's this line in there where Maximus says, Caesar once had a vision of what was supposed to be Rome, and this is not it. And, and I would say, like Maximus, I believe Jesus had a vision of what the church was supposed to be, and many times we haven't been it. And that's why I'm willing to do this. This, That's why this is so important to me. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Jesus said. You Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Denied access to God. That's my main scripture throughout this book and what we've been talking about. I mean, think about it this way, all right? Jesus came to provide access to the Father. When he died on a cross, I don't know if you know this or not, but when he died on the cross, obviously a lot of things happened, and they were all symbolic. And one of the things that happened was that the veil was ripped from top to bottom, right? In the temple, in between the Holy of Holies and and where everybody else could go. And the Holy of Holies was such a special place that only the high priest could go in, and only once a year. And it was such a special moment to go in because that's where the presence of God was. And God set that up because he wanted people to know that he wanted to be as close to them as he could, but their imperfectness and his holiness couldn't be together. So once a year, the high priest on our behalf would go in and they would tie a rope around his leg. And when he went in, just in case he had a grabber, you know, right in the middle of being with God, because people do that sometimes. And, and he would go in and he would, he, would, he would have this vision and this time with God, and then he would come back out again. That's how the Holy of Holies went. But when Jesus died, the veil, the big thick curtain was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing like God was literally just going, it's over. The separation between the two of us, it's over. And that was Jesus' mission. And he provided that for us. So you got to understand, man, if, we, if anybody else got in the way of access to the Father after Jesus paid that price, of course it's going to make him mad. Pastor Brian told you about us getting 
will call tickets to the World Series. I've got one better, okay? Back in the early 90s, I got a call from uh, somebody who represented the rock band Styx. Um, any Styx fans out there? Okay, right? And, um, and they were like, okay, we got a weird one for you. We're having a concert um, this weekend in front of 14,000 people, and the, the drummer is engaged, and, um, or no, the bass player is engaged, and he, he wants to do a wedding on stage. Would you do it? I know. I still don't know if I did the right thing, but obviously I did it. Um, it's beside the point. It was a long time ago. I talked to the elders. We were like, okay, maybe there's a chance for the gospel. So they gave me this pass. I got to hang out with the band, and they gave me this pass, and at just the right moment when Mr. Roboto came on, that was my cue song, right? I had this on my, you know, on my suit because I was wearing a suit because I was going to be pastor man, and I had this on, and, and, I, and, I, and I walked up to the big dude that was guarding the back door, and I'm like, hey, and he's like, oh, okay, come on in. And I got my backstage pass. You with me? And I could walk around. I could go anywhere in there I wanted to. And at the end of the concert, they did Come Sail Away, you know, closing number. And then the lights go down, and everybody knows the concert's not really over because they do that dumb thing where they're going to come back for the encore, right? And everybody's like cheered. And all of a sudden, Dennis DeYoung comes out, and he goes, hey, you guys, we're going to have a wedding. I mean, these are 14,000 really wasted people by this time, okay? And they're like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm serious. I want to introduce Pastor Tim Harlow. And I come out, and I do, <laughs> I come out, and I, I presented the gospel in this wedding format. They came out. She had her white dress on, and he's all sweaty, but he comes out, puts a, you know, tux coat on. And I did the wedding in front of 14,000 people. And then, I just got to tell you this, because it's one of, the, one of the moments in my life. As soon as I was done... As soon as I said amen, Tommy Shaw was looked over. I didn't know this was going to happen. Tommy Shaw's over in the corner, and all of a sudden you hear, Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Right? I know. I mean, it was like, oh, I've just died and gone to heaven. But, but what was I talking about? Oh, my backstage pass. I could go wherever I wanted to at the World Music Theater at the time because I had the backstage pass. And if Jesus came to provide this backstage pass for us, we can't block access to God when it costs Jesus so much to provide it. So the reason that Jesus got mad and the reason that our culture is having a problem connecting to Jesus is because sometimes us religious people are getting in the way. That's how the whole thing works. And we have to understand that the mission of Jesus is about the people that are farthest away. The loss is a priority. Jesus, I mean, he, he taught on it one day, right? Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. He tells a story in this parable, because they're griping at him for trying to provide access, backstage pass access, to the people that needed it the most. That's what he was trying to do. And he tells a story about these two boys that had a wonderful dad. You've probably heard it before. It goes something like this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
so he divided his property between them. I mean, the custom at that day was for the father to give uh, what he wanted to give as an inheritance at the time that he chose to. So the culture would have understood, the Jewish culture when Jesus is telling this, would have known that this boy was doing a very, very bad thing, a very disrespectful thing. The boy is saying, look, I want what's coming to me when you die, and I don't want to wait for you to die, okay? That, that's what I want to have happen. I want to live as if you were dead right now, okay? So the prodigal lived like dad was dead. So this is a problem. This is a bad deal. And everybody listening to this story understands that. Dad, I don't care if you have plans for my life. I don't care if you think you know how you want me to live. I'm going to do it my way. And probably at some level, we can all relate to that. We've all done Frank Sinatra with our Heavenly Father and done it our way. Some of us run farther from the Father than others, but the result is still the same. We leave the love and the protection of the Father at some point. The younger son set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This father had spent a lifetime working and saving for, the, for this money, and, and this kid went and blew it on wild living. And hey, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that wild living isn't fun for a while, but it never really goes well for the long haul. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. They're Jews. Okay, remember this story? So Jesus, is, Jesus in this story is going all the way down. This, this boy was disrespectful, and he blows all his dad's money, and then he ends up with the pigs. There wouldn't have been a, a more drastic illustration for Jesus to, to come up with. And this boy doesn't even have enough to eat, okay? This is where he is. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, so the prodigal left dad, but the prodigal also ended up in the last place he'd ever dreamed. And hey, again, a lot of us have been there too, right? The last place he ever dreamed. I mean, you walk away from God, that's what ends up happening. Maybe you've had that experience where you woke up and you're like, I'm feeding pigs. How did this happen? Well, well you ran away from God. That's how it happened. It happens all the time. It's happened to me. It's probably happened to everybody who's listening to me. You're, you're, you're here on one hand, and God's here on the other hand, and, and you're laying there in the middle of the night, and it smells like pigs. Maybe that's where you're at today. I, I, I want you to know that I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for you, and the Father wants you to come home. You are why we, as in the big church, are here. No judgment. We just want to help because we've all been there. And you probably haven't heard that from other Christians in the past. You've probably had judgmentalism and legalism and hypocrisy. And you're like, I don't think I want anything to do with that. I'm sorry, but those people are badly representing Jesus. Because what we learn about God is that God is a good Father. He allows us free will. Absolutely, He allows us free will. If we want to go do our own thing, He'll let us go do our own thing. Um, my grandsons in Nashville, um, one of them, 
One of them looked like Boss Baby last Halloween, didn't he? I mean, come on. If you want to be, isn't he adorable? That's little Georgie. Charlie was a Dalmatian. If you, if you, if you want to be Boss Baby in your own life, God is going to allow you to do that because God loves you, and, and love means I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm not going to force you to be here. If I had said, Dad, give me what's... I don't know about you, but my dad wouldn't have been as good as that. Would your dad? I mean, if, if I said, hey, Dad, give me all, my, all the money you're going to give me. I'm out of here. I'm going to go party. My dad wouldn't have said, you know, okay, if you want to go do that. that, that that's not going to happen. My dad would have said something along the lines of, Son, I brought you into this world... Finish it with me. Okay, you, you know my dad. I get that, okay? My dad wasn't as nice as God, and this is kind of unbelievable. But here's what happened when he let him go. When he came to his senses, he said, Man, my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And he went home. And most of you probably know the great ending to the story about how the father welcomes him home. But that's not the great ending to the story because the story is not about the prodigal son. The story isn't even about the amazing father who welcomes him home. Remember that this is about the attitude of the church leaders who didn't want Jesus hanging around with the tax collectors and the sinners, right? Here's the point of the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother's come home, he said. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Meanwhile, did you catch that? The, the, this story is really wonderful, except that meanwhile is there. In my mind, you know, when meanwhile happens, it means that something is going to happen differently than what was going on before. In my mind, I hear the narrator from Rocky and Bullwinkle, but that doesn't mean anything to most of you, so it doesn't matter. Here's what goes on. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father, this good father, went out and pleaded with him. But the older brother answered his father, look, all these years, listen to this, listen to this. I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Wow. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He was angry, and he refused to go in. Why? Because, and I hate to bring up an, an, another syndrome in the middle of the coronavirus, he had OBS. How do you know if you have OBS? Older brother syndrome. Okay? Number one, you're selfish. Because really, what is he saying? He's saying, well, what about me, right? You killed the fatted calf for him, but what about me? You throw a party for him, but what about me? You have a celebration, but when is it my turn? And please grab a hold of this. Okay, please grab a hold of this. If you're, a, if you're not a Christian out there, you're just checking things out to, to, today, you need to understand this, okay? It, it is always going to be about you. And if you are a Christian and you're, you're listening to this today, I want you to know it's never going to be about you because it's always going to be about the one who's farthest from home. 
God loves all of us. He loved the older brother and the younger brother, but the one who's farthest away is going to be the priority. I mean, if you're a kid and you've got two of your kids at home and one of them has run away, your priority is for that one, right? This just makes sense. This is why he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life so that, so that we would have a way to have the veil ripped and have access to God. And it makes him mad, as Brian's been talking about. He cleared out the temple, man. I mean, it makes him mad when we get in the way. Right before this parable, Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost. And, and Jesus said that the shepherd left that one sheep in the open, he left the 99 sheep in the open country. I didn't really notice that until recently, a few years ago. I thought maybe he left them in a pen or left them with another shepherd. It doesn't say that. It says in the open country, which means there was no one to take care of them. And you know what those 99 sheep were saying, don't you? They were saying, what about me? You know that's what they were saying because that's what people do. But the shepherd had to go find that one lost one. And if you're that lost one, that's what we're about, okay? And all of us Christians need to remember that. Jesus goes on and he says it this way, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. <laughs> because finding the lost sheep is the main thing. And we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Am I right? Come on. Because when, listen to me, when people are beat down in sin and they're living with the pigs, we've been there. They need a place. They need somebody to come around them and go, hey, I know a place that you can go. It's called Crossroads Grace Church, and we would love to help you. We want to be there. How do you know you have OBS? Well, you're selfish or you're a gracious. Brian introduced you to this term already. We're gracious. Gracism is, I deserve to be with the Father and you don't. This is what the Pharisees were doing. It's essentially the same thing as racism, which is also extremely ignorant, except it's not about the color of your skin, it's about the color of your sin. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's the same thing. It's, it's gracism. But he answered his father. Listen to this again. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. It is, it's the epitome of hypocrisy. Really? I mean, why did you think it was slaving, and really you've never disobeyed an order? It's like my favorite picture of hypocrisy. This newspaper captured this picture. It's hard for you to see, but this woman... Um, worries about the effect of her unborn child from the sound of the jackhammers. She's smoking. She's smoking right here, okay? I don't think the jackhammers are going to bother your unborn child as much as what you're doing, but that's what we want to do. We want to look down at everybody else, right? The brother compared his actions to the actions of his lost brother, and then, of course, he was much better. All these years I've been slaving for you. What's the older brother saying? He's saying, look, I'm a pretty good guy. To which, I love this Mark Twain quote, a clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. Can I get an amen? Okay. <laughs> Jesus tells another story a few chapters later in Luke 18. It goes like this. He told a parable. I won't even tell you the parable. I just want to tell you the point. He also told a parable to some who trusted, listen to this, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and they treated other people with contempt. You know what? That makes Jesus mad. Well, you know, I, I do all the right things. I come to church, you know, when there's not a virus. I, I've done rooted. I, I've done FPU. I don't yell at my kids. I, you know, I, I treat my spouse right. I do online giving. I've been doing it for a long time. Really, really, really. What this is about, this is about fairness. Have you ever had a problem with your children and fairness? Right? It's not fair. It always has two syllables. Fair. Right? <laughs> and you know what? Guys, grace is not fair. Right? It's not fair. It's not fair that Jesus would look down as He hung on the cross at a guy who was being crucified for his crimes, who could not go back and pay, who could not go back and do good deeds, who could not go back and feed the homeless, who could not go back and get baptized, who could not go back and do anything. He looked down at the cross from the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's not fair. But Jesus said He was going, so we got to deal with it. Grace is not fair. That's why it's called grace. You may have OBS if you forget how good dad is. This is the one that bothers me the most. But he answered his father, listen, I've been slaving, right? Never disobeyed. This has been my problem as I wrote this book. This is the thing that really stuck out to me. The older brother was living with the same dad as the younger brother, and he thinks he's slaving. And evidently, the younger brother wants to get out of there too. But we know from the story how good dad is. So what's the problem? I mean, it sounds like the older brother and obviously the younger brother thought that life would be better away from home. And can I just say that if you're thinking about, as a believer, all the stuff that you've been missing out of, you know, all the things that you've been missing out on, maybe it's because you've decided to be a part of God's family, but you're missing the point completely. Because the irony is, well, this is the irony, think about it. While the older brother is dreaming about being out on his own, the younger brother was starving as a pig feeder, wishing that he would have never left. You see what I'm saying? I mean, why was he slaving? Why did he think it was going to be that way? What was exactly the problem? The kingdom of God is already here. And if you don't understand how good it is, you don't understand your dad because you are already at the party. You are already here. I know that heaven's going to be great someday, but you are already here. My son, he said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. How do we miss this? God wants to give us everything, including Himself. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So why are we going through the motions and doing our chores and living in the family without enjoying the family? Please stop that. That's a terrible example on the people that are out there. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. The father says, look, for a long time I've been in sorrow over this lost son, and I've been looking every day for him to come home. And now that I have him back, I don't want to lose you too. 
So he pleaded with both of the sons to come home. And this is something that I learned recently. Let let me take you back to the story because I didn't read this part and explain this just a little bit when the prodigal came home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This is how good dad is. And the son started to give his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Quick, notice that. Put a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. And here's the thing that I never knew until recently. The father ran, okay? The father ran. This is something that maybe you've heard this before, but you can imagine that an, a, an elderly gentleman, and by the way, how old do I have to be to park in your senior adult parking? That really bothered me on the way in. I don't know what the age limit is. I didn't park there. I never will, but it just bothered me. I mean, make it something else. I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> a, an elderly man coming in to run, right? What is he going to do? He's wearing a robe, so he's going to have to pick it up, and he's going to run, and that was disgraceful in that day. I mean, it would be kind of disgraceful today, but he ran to meet the sun. It was a violation of dignity, and he didn't care who was around watching, but he ran to meet the sun. Here's what I never knew before until just recently. The tradition of the community, this is called kezazah, okay? And it is the banishment. It's the banishment celebration. It's a banishment thing that they did. A symbolism of banishment. So what they would do is if there was somebody who had done something bad and they decided to try to come home and they didn't want them to come home, they would take one of their pots and they would, they would fill it up with stinky stuff, okay? And they would fill it up with like roasted corn nuts and stuff that stunk, and they would take it out, and as he was walking up, they would take it out to the outskirts of the community, and they would throw it down, just like that. Apologize. They would throw it down. I, I didn't know how, how much it would take to break, you know, and I'm not Brian, so I had to throw it pretty hard. And they would take the pot, and they would throw it down like that, and this person standing on the other side would go, uh, I guess I'm not welcome here. It was their way of, you know, flipping off this kid, this person, who they didn't want to have come home. That was their cultural way of saying, no, you're not welcome here. And what I learned is that this whole idea of the father running was not just about the father running. He wanted to get out in front of the community. Think about it now, right? Whole different perspective. He wanted to get to the son and show his love and acceptance to the son before the community could banish him. And I I think God is doing the same thing today. And He wants churches that will come and do this same thing. He wants churches that will come and kiss the Son and welcome the Son and and put the robe on the Son and the ring and the sandals and and pull out all the stops and and, and let this Son know, no, 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 we're not going to let anybody do this to you. There's no kezaza for you. We want you to come home. Because you see, the key to the stories 
are found at the end of the first two. It says this, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guys, we all belong to a Father that wants us back. We all belong to a Father that wants us at the party. We all belong to a Father that loves us. We all belong to a Father that will run undignified ahead of all of the judgmental people that want to banish us. And He will throw His arms open and nobody can keep us away. Don't get Jesus started on this one. Those brood of vipers, those sons of hell who get in the way, He will turn the tables over on them because He died to give you the backstage pass. And we want to help because we are, you are, we are a church full of people on our way back home to a very amazing, good Father. God, I just want to pray that you'll be with us. I, I, I really am as exhausted and, and weirded out by this coronavirus thing as everybody else. We're all talking about it and how it affects the economy, how it affects everything. But I'm really not just trying to sound like a, a, a guy who's supposed to stand up and say everything's going to be okay. I really, 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 really believe it's going to be okay. I really believe that it's going to pass and we're going to have had an opportunity maybe if for nothing more than the online presence of so many churches around the country like this one, it's going to give us an opportunity to get into places that we might not have been able to get before. And when we come back together, people are going to look and they're going to say, hey, Jesus had an idea of what the kingdom ought to look like, and this is it. I want to be there. I want to be here. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.